Good morning. A warm welcome to the service uh, today. It's good to see all of you. We'll celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We'll gather around the Lord's table. It's not the Free Church table. It's not the North Harris table. Uh, it's a table that uh, is open for all of the Lord's people. So uh, any who uh, know, trust the Lord, uh, are called to do this, to take the bread, to take the wine in remembrance of him. Again, we, we're thankful for the, the work of God through uh, Professor Janangas. We've uh, heard from uh, him of the, the fact of our unworthiness. As we come to the table, we recognise we are not worthy, and it's God the Holy Spirit who shows us that. And we come, uh, as we heard last night, with minds and hearts that are full of God, the God who is worthy. And so we're thankful for uh, the ministry so far, and we look forward uh, to hearing God's word through you again today, Janangas. So I'm going to hand over to you now. Thanks. Let's begin our worship of the Lord. Let's draw near the Lord in prayer. Lord, what wonderful, wonderful words. Words that you have given us to sing of yourself. What could we possibly add to them? In our own experience, we have found that you are a God who cares, who lifts, who hears. You're a God, Lord, who loves. You're a God who rebukes. You're a God who will deal with the righteous and with the wicked. You're a God, Lord, who asks of us that we will live for you and that we will praise you all our days. Lord, we confess our utter failure to have done this in our lives up till this day. We want, Lord, we genuinely want to honour you with our lives, with our lips, with everything we do. We find that sin still dwells within us and we still find that we give far too much place to self rather than to you. More conscious of our own reputation, our own plans and ambitions, our own sorrows than of you and of your glory and the unchanging reasons why we should praise you. Lord, we pray that you would draw us to have a desire to praise you all our days for good reasons. Would you open our eyes, Lord, that we may not be blind to your works, our, your works within us, your works around us, your works in the world. We do trust you. We know that you have everything under control. You are the only God, the one and only, the great I am. You are the one who was there yesterday, who's here today and who will be there tomorrow. And we have absolute certainty that everything is well, everything is right. And we come, Lord, trusting you this day, even as we entrust ourselves to you for our salvation. Lord, what a privilege to be able to remember you and what you have done in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us even now to realise our destiny, those of us who are in Christ. Help us to love you as much as Christ, your Son, loves you. We know that that is the way it will be for eternity. And we ask, Lord, that increasingly we would love you as he loves you that that love would be within us. We ask, Lord, that the Lord Jesus himself would be our teacher in loving you. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless everyone who's here today, who's under the sound of your word, and who hears your people praising, and who call upon your name. Oh, Lord, will you be pleased to hear their cries? Will you open hearts, Lord, for the first time, 
May you be pleased, Lord, to draw them from death to life. And may there be a new song in the heart of somebody, even in this congregation and the congregations around. Lord, what, what a wonderful privilege. What a wonderful privilege to be able to be in a place where your word is read and sung and where you are honoured. Lord, we do pray for those who are absent, those who cannot possibly be here. We ask that their absence would be blessed to them, that there would be such a longing created within their hearts that they find themselves worshipping you all their days. And those, Lord, who are absent, who used to be here but never trusted in you, oh, Lord, will you show your sovereign power by even now where they are, drawing them to yourself. You're a gracious God. And we would pray that you would show your might and your power in salvation this day. Don't cut down the tree. We pray, Lord, that it would last another year and that there would be fruit in the days to come. Bless those who gather in Scalpe this morning too. Oh, may your own presence be felt and experienced in the reading and the praising and the preaching of your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would draw near to us now. Keep us and forgive us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we would pray that you would bless these young ones. Oh, Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for their honesty. Thank you for their willingness to to live and to hear and to listen. Lord, will you do a work of grace in every one of their lives? And will you be pleased, Lord, to raise up from them uh, another generation of Christians and that they will be the ones who will carry the torch of the gospel. Lord, we would pray that you would raise up from people like this, elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and mothers and fathers and people who really care. Lord, we ask that you would bless every one of these children for your glory, we ask it. Amen. Let's read the word of God now from the book of the Revelation and chapter 5. We'll read the whole chapter. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom 
and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might for ever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. May the Lord bless that reading of his own holy inspired word. Let's turn back now to the book of the Revelation and chapter 5. It's the most wonderful chapter. Chapter 4 is quite astounding in the way that God himself is honoured, given his place for such worthy reasons. Chapter 5 continues the same. It's God who is still worshipped, but he'll be worshipped through the Lamb. What do we find here? Bear with me. You find the scroll of history. I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So here's a scroll, okay, all round up, wound up, and there will be seals at various points in the scroll. So even if you opened one seal, you wouldn't be able to open it all. You'd have to go to the next seal and the next seal all the way as it is unrolled. So there's this scroll. What's in this scroll? I think it is the detail of history. I think it's the detail of how God will carry out all that he has promised by way of saving and judging. Every detail is to be found there for every day of the existence of the world, for every hour of our lives, for every moment. It's all there in the scroll. There's nothing missing. And this scroll is in the right hand of God. Whose other hand could it ever be in? We are not masters of our own destiny. We are not people in charge of our own lives. There is one who has the scroll and he, in his right hand it remains. But this scroll, we're told, is sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Question, for this scroll to be opened, for God's purposes to go forward, for the history of the world to achieve its destination, somebody has to open the scroll. Somebody has to unseal it. Who is worthy to unseal and to open the scroll? God can't do it. That's the most striking thing in a way in this chapter. God cannot unseal the scroll. He can't do it. He's God. Of course he's God and it's his promises and it's his judgment and it's his salvation. But there are things that God cannot do just by being God. He cannot open the scroll. God cannot unseal it. So who can? Who can bear the burden of the whole of history? Who can be given the honour of opening this particular scroll? Who can be trusted with the will of God in its entirety and in all its detail? Who has the integrity? Who is so trustworthy? 
Who is so righteous? Who could possibly be so acceptable to God that he could open this scroll and unseal it? Who will live long enough to open all the seals of this history? Who is so committed to God that he will never disagree with anything in this scroll? He will never look at it and say, oh no, I'm okay with all up to now, but I can't do this. No, whoever opens this scroll has to be committed to God and will never disagree, never murmur. Indeed, he has to be somebody who says amen to everything in this scroll, every single detail. Who is deserving of opening and unsealing this scroll? Who is worthy? We learned last night God is worthy. The question is, who is worthy to reign under God to fulfill his purposes? Who? That's the question then that is asked. A mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? No one was able to take it on. Notice how it's put in verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. No one was able to do it. No one in heaven. None of the saints of God who are in heaven. Nobody from the Old Testament who had gone to glory could do it. Nobody in earth. No holy person on earth, no righteous human being could be found on earth who would be able to do it. No one in the church, not even the apostles, not even the apostle Paul, not even the apostle John could open this scroll. No one in heaven, no one in earth. (coughs) What about those who have died in the past and who are under the earth? Is it possible that there are saints somewhere who are there at one time who may be able to do it? No. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Does anyone try? Does anyone try to be the master of their own destiny? To try and work out their own history? Yes, I'm sure. Remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, you'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. You could take this on yourselves. That didn't work out well. They were excluded from the presence of God. Human beings today, they somehow think that they can manage their own destiny. They can't. It is not possible. They are not worthy. And look at the effect on John here. Isn't it remarkable? I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, you could have said to John... John, what's in the scroll? He says, I don't know. What's the detail in the scroll? I don't know. Then why are you so upset (coughs) that you're crying loudly? And the word in Greek actually is also that he cried over a long period of time. This wasn't just a brief whimper. This had a real effect on John in the vision. He wept because a search was made and no one was found. They looked, they scanned heaven, they scanned earth, they scanned under the earth, and there was no angel, no human being in the past or in the present that could possibly take on this task. Nobody was found worthy to open the scroll 
or even to look into it. Oh, John, he didn't know the detail of it, but he could easily say to you, I don't know what's the detail, but I know whose hand that scroll is in. It's in the right hand of God. And because I know God and I trust God, I know that what's there is to his honour and to his glory. That's enough for him. If only there was somebody worthy to open the scroll. He wept. He broke down. And he broke down for a long period of time. So sad. He clearly loved the will of God. And saw here the most terrible impediment. Because there was nobody, nobody worthy to open the scroll. On Friday evening, we were thinking about the prodigal son. And he, I'm sure, wept in the far-off country because he wasn't worthy. How true. All of us know our own sense of unworthiness. But here's unworthiness on another scale. He think, he says, of all the cries will be unanswered, all the hopes that will be unfulfilled. Think of the divine plan that is being postponed and can't be put into effect unless someone is found. John wept loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then comes the moment. One of the elders, remember the 24 elders, church, Old Testament and New New Testament church, the people of God. One of the elders said to me, weep no more, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now see, if I'd been writing this, if I'd been giving this vision, I would have pictured God on the throne with this scroll in his hand. And then I would see Jesus coming to take the scroll from his hand straight away. But no, God allows this pause to happen. Who is worthy? No one is found worthy. And then someone from within the church who benefits says, there is one, there is one. And see that pause, that part in this scenario where you actually go through the weeping time before the time of blessing comes. How often that happens in our experience where we find ourselves weeping because we can't see the way ahead. And God allows that. God allows us to weep because we don't know how things will progress. And there's nothing at all that we should be ashamed of in doing that. Christians should weep. There are times when we should lament. There are times that we should be broken before the Lord. There are far too many times when Christians are as blasé as the world. No, there are times when the Lord says, this is a time for weeping. Has he ever brought that kind of pause into your own life? Where he stopped you in your tracks. You're journeying along and then all of a sudden it stops. And you realise you can't take another step forward. Because you need the help of God. You realise your own strength is not enough. Your own wisdom is not enough. You need God to go forward. In that situation, of course you weep. Have you ever wept because you needed God and God in Christ? A past generation did. A present generation does. 
It happens all the time. Don't you be unashamed of that. Well, weep no more. Why? Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. They found one. One person. Only one. He's described here as a lion of the tribe of Judah. Those of you know Genesis 49 verse 9 know that the scepter was not going to depart from Judah. There would be a king that would arise from within Israel itself. It would be a human being. It would be a son that would come from Judah. And he will be king. And he marvelously will be worthy enough, committed enough, righteous enough with all the integrity required to take on his shoulders the rule of the universe under God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. Those of you know Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Read there that there is this coming one who will arise from the root of David. David, he was king under God. But this is the root of David. Why would there ever be somebody like David symbolically reigning over God's people? Because there was going to be the root of David who would one day appear in the Davidic line. He'd be the king. This is the Lion King. The tribe of Judah. The root of David. And we're told here he doesn't have the right to open the scroll because he exists but because he conquered. (coughs) Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. There's been a battle, and he has overcome. He has won. There's been a time of testing. There's been warfare. He's come through it, and he has conquered as king, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He's conquered sin, Satan, and death. He is now in a position to save. He's in a position to judge. John, you can stop crying now. It's all in hand. The Lion King is here. And then he turns round between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He turns, fully expecting, of course, to see a lion. And he does see a lion. But this lion is a lamb in addition to being a lion. He is a lion, but he looks like a lamb. And he functions like a lamb. And look at where this lamb is. Between the throne... And the four living creatures. And among the elders. The church. I saw a lamb standing. This is where the lamb of God belongs. This is where the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David belongs. Right there at the throne of God. In among the living creatures. The angels. And right there at the heart of the 24 elders. And the lamb is standing there. Remember, these are the people, these are the creatures, the angels and the church that were worshipping in chapter 4. Now you find, here's one of the reasons they're worshipping. Not only is God worthy of worship, 
But here is the lamb. And he is standing. But notice standing as though it had been slain. He's alive. But he looks as if he's been dead. He's standing up. So he's not barely alive. He is fully alive. But he still bears the marks of the past. His death that had to be conquered. He's alive. Now be careful here. Why does this lion, this lamb, have the right to open the book, the scroll, to unseal it? It's not because he's God. It's not because he's God the Son. It's not even because he died on the cross. That in itself would not give him the right to open the scroll. He dies and stands. He dies and rises again. He's slain and then he rises from death. And until he rises, he's not in a position to open the scroll. A dead Christ could not do it. A dead lamb is not worthy. It's one who was slain but now stands alive where? In the presence (coughs) of God. Our crucified, resurrected Christ is the one who alone can open the scroll of history. We're going to remember him shortly at the Lord's table. What a privilege. He's the lion, always will be. He's the lamb, always will be. He was slain once, but never again. He stands alive forever. And that whole history means that he is worthy to open this scroll. (coughs) Notice also what is said about him. He has seven horns. Picture language in the book of the Revelation. Horns are always to do with strength. Seven horns, complete strength. No one will be able to topple Jesus Christ from the throne. Nobody will be able to snatch him away from the centre of history. He has seven horns. There is no weapon formed against any of his people or against his church. No government, no No satanic, no demonic power will be able to defeat because he is so strong, so mighty, so powerful. He has seven horns and he has seven eyes. He cares. Somebody said recently that people who care look at people. He has seven eyes. He looks, he sees it all. He sees the detail, he sees the people, he sees the past, he sees the present, he sees the future. He is omniscient. He is the one who knows all, he sees all. I mean, you wouldn't be a very good king without power. You wouldn't be a very good king if you couldn't see. But what a king, what a lion, what a lamb who has seven horns and seven eyes. But the seven eyes here are spoken of in a special way. They are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. How does Jesus rule? How does he rule with precision wherever he sees? He rules through the sevenfold spirit. He rules through the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, what happened when he ascended up into heaven? 
there was a pause. There was a pause for about 10 days. And then something happened. The church received the outpouring of the Spirit. Why? It took 10 days for Jesus to pour out the Spirit on the church. But he received that Spirit immediately. When he ascended up into heaven as the Lamb standing in the presence of God, he received from the Spirit and in his own time pours it out, pours him out upon the church to equip the church for its task. And here is our King, our Lion, our Lamb, reigning with mighty power through the Holy Spirit who sees all. And this Spirit works through the church. You and I here today, what are we doing? We are here indwelt by the Spirit of God if we are Christians. The Lion, the Lamb, the Spirit of God and the work of God going on. Well, what are we told about this Lion, this Lamb? Verse 7, I love this portion. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He went and took it. You'd almost think he was willing. Now, you might say, of course he was willing. Would you have been willing? Would you have been willing? Ah, you say, but he's God the Son. He's going to take the, on his shoulders the reigning of his universe forever and ever and ever. He's God the Son. He can do that. No, no, no. This is the Lamb we're talking about. This is the God-man. This is the Son of Mary. This is the dust of the earth. This is the one who now stands in the presence of God and he says, I am willing to take on my shoulders the government of the universe. The government will be on his shoulders. Think of that. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose willingly. I remember somebody in my congregation in Dingwall saying to me once, you made a mistake, John Angus. I says, what did I do? Well, he said, you said that Jesus died, then the resurrection happened, and he went bodily up to heaven. I says, okay, so where's the mistake? Oh, he says, he didn't go bodily to heaven. He reverted to being God. Oh, I says, I don't think you're right there. So I explained to him from scripture. And he was quite astounded. I says, God, the Son, will never just be God again. He is irreversibly God and man, two distinct natures, one person, for how long? Forever. Well, that's one thing. To be committed to being God and man forever. But to be committed to taking the reign of the universe under holy God to further his purposes forever and ever and ever. Is he willing to do that? Your salvation depends on it. The salvation of everyone here depends on it. Would he be willing to do it? To die for them, that's one thing. To rise for them, that's another thing. To reign for them, that's a third thing. But to reign forever? Are you saying that this person has to take the rule of the universe forever and ever without end? Yes. You mean it's not a 60-year commitment? No. 600 years? No. 6,000? No. This is forever. Will he be willing to do it? Is there anyone who is worthy 
to take this upon his shoulders. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. God doesn't get up from the throne and give it to him. He goes to the throne. Why? Because he is first and foremost a worshipper. He goes to the throne. Please don't mix up Jesus and God. He is God, of very God, and you must worship him. But he worships God. God doesn't worship Jesus. He worships God. He goes and he takes a scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. What what willingness. You know, when he took that scroll, when he took the government on his shoulders, wow, what a commitment. And I want you to be full of this thought today as you go to the Lord's table. I want you to be full of this thought. God, as we said last night, yes. But here's somebody under God for you and for God's glory. He will reign forever and ever and ever to ensure that you are sealed, saved, sanctified forever. His person is perfect. His work, perfect. His history, flawless. His power, limitless. His presence is everywhere in the spirit and his willingness. You couldn't find a more perfect king to rule the universe, to take the scroll. He willingly takes the government on his shoulders. Well, what's the result of that? When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. See, they're now worshipping the Lamb. He is God. The Lamb is before the throne. He worships God. But they're also here now worshipping the Lamb. They fall down before him, each of them holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There are harps. He is to be praised. There are bowls full of incense. He is to be addressed in prayer. This is a king whom we are expected to both praise and to pray to. And that's exactly what these do. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, each holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's holy ones. To whom do we now pray? We pray to the Lion, who's the Lamb, who's alive having been crucified, and who rules over the universe willingly. God trusts him, and we go to him, and we pray in Jesus' name. And then they sang the new song, a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. We've mentioned that. He was crucified. It's something that happened to him. Yes, he laid down his life himself, but he was also crushed by God. Indeed, the God who is on the throne is the one who crushed the Messiah. He laid our sin upon him. You were slain. That's one of the reasons why you are worthy. And by your blood, you have ransomed people for God. By his death, followed by his resurrection, followed by his ascension, followed by taking the universe on his shoulders. He has ransomed a people from their guilt for God. 
There's going to be a people saved. And they're going to be saved from every tribe and language and people and nation. And these are going to be a kingdom. They're going to be priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Notice what happens. The people for whom he died. What does Jesus do with them? He says, I ransomed you. Not for me. Not for me. I ransomed you for God. All these people who are being saved by my death and resurrection. They have been saved to be a kingdom. And priests to our God. That's the truth. You have been saved for God. Please, please, please. Don't let the salvation stop short. When you become a Christian, you come to Jesus. But Jesus wants you to go further and say, and in coming to me, you come to God. At the end, 1 Corinthians 15, at the end, what will Jesus do? He'll take the kingdom, all of us who are his people, and he'll present them to God. We are rescued. We are brought back to God himself. What a privilege. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. I mean, you think of it. Here are these special angels who in some way have responsibility to rule under God over the the world, the animal kingdom, the people and so on. And there's the church, the 24 elders. And you think, what more could there be? And then you find this phrase, around the throne and around the living creatures and around the elders, the voice of many angels Literally numbering ten thousands of ten thousands and thousands of thousands. It's as if you're taking a hundred thousand and timing it by thousands upon thousands. We're not talking here about a small little group of angels. We're talking here about the whole mass of angels. This is the biggest number they could use in Greek at the time. Murios. Muria. Myriad. Ten thousand. But it didn't really mean 10,000. It just meant a number so great you can't count them. And when you say myriads of myriads, then you're talking about 10,000s of 10,000s and thousands of thousands. There was nobody who didn't praise. But isn't it remarkable how many angels it takes to rule under God, under Christ? And what do they say? Well, you see the... The 24 elders and the living creatures, they used the second person. You are worthy. These angels said, he is worthy. The lamb is worthy. The third person. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, God, and to the lamb, be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the church, they just fall down and they worship. This is history. This is how we should see the universe. This is what is written for the encouragement of the people in the first century. Rome was mighty. Rome was powerful. Ready to crush the church. Not a chance. John's being told, this is the way things are from heaven's point of view. 21st century. 
Could you possibly become a Christian? Are you afraid that if you started following Christ, that you will not have the strength to keep continuing? Do you somehow think that you can only go so far in your own strength and then you're done? Listen, there's more strength in God than you know of. He will never, ever fail you. I'm hearing a lady in the telephone exchange in Stornoway. Before I became a Christian, she was a Christian and she said to me as I was leaving for Liverpool, Janangus, she says, try God. He will never fail you. Never forgot it. I didn't try him then. I've tried him since. And he has never failed because God has entrusted everything to Christ. The Lamb. God is worthy and the Lamb is so worthy.